I'm James Gould, and this is The Recess Course. Today, we're back with Dr. Hannah Weimer, and we're going to be talking about the subtleties of delivery. So what are the things that can go wrong? Thanks for being here, Hannah. Thanks again for having me. We're pretty good at managing massive hemorrhage in the emergency department, but massive postpartum hemorrhage, it just seems like an entire other kettle of fish. And I know there's some specifics that we need to think about in the context of postpartum hemorrhage. Can, can you touch a bit on those? Yeah, so some of the principles of postpartum hemorrhage management are very familiar to us in terms of our, our basic hemorrhage protocols, but there are some that are quite unique to pregnancy. Going back to medical school, we may remember the four T's of postpartum hemorrhage. So uterine atme is the most common cause, but our other potential causes could be retained placenta, lacerations, or coagulopathy. So let's say we have a patient who's hemorrhaging, we've inspected and we see no signs of cervical or vaginal trauma, the placenta is intact, and we've checked for coagulopathy with labs that are pending, but we have a low suspicion. What we now need to do is keep addressing uterine atony, which is, again, that most common cause. And how we're going to do this is by, by massaging the uterus quite vigorously. So this isn't a gentle massage. This is a deep, deep massage, again, to stimulate that atonic uterus to contract. Some things that can help us facilitate this massage is to place a Foley to empty the bladder so that there's really nothing in the way from our hand on the abdomen massaging that uterus. And we want to manually evacuate any clots that are stuck in the vagina. If this is not resolving the hemorrhage, we're going to have to move on to uterotonic medications. And all these medications work by causing sustained uterine contractions to counteract that uterine atony. So the first thing we can do is increase the rate of oxytocin that's running. So instead of the rate of 100 to 125 cc's per hour, we can increase to 200 to 500 cc's per hour of that, again, 20 to 40 units and one liter of saline. Or if we haven't given the IM dose, we can give that 10 units IM. There are a few other specific medications that can be given. One is organovine, which is an ergot derivative, and that's a dose of 250 micrograms. Another option is a medication called Hemabate. Its generic name is Carboprost, and that's 250 micrograms IM. Our last medication that we can give this can be given a few routes, can either be given orally or rectally, is mesoprostol. And that dose is 600 to 1,000 micrograms given. It can also be given as a sublingual dose. The medication that's more familiar to us, but if we're dealing with a prolonged postpartum hemorrhage, medication that we can consider is a gram of tranexamic acid. If at this point we're, we're really still in trouble, so we've gone through our met algorithm, we've done massage, we've looked for reversible causes, We've given her uterotonics and TXA and the patient is still bleeding. Now we're in, in a territory where we really need help. So at this point, hopefully we've contacted our obstetrician. If we don't have obstetrics in-house, we might need to contact our general surgery team because many of these patients will require operative management. And if we have interventional radiology, we would also want to contact them and we want to contact them ASAP. And so this patient, if they're continuing to have ongoing hemorrhage, they likely need an intervention, which is either going to be a uterine artery embolization or a hysterectomy or other surgical management. But what we can do as a temporizing measure is tamponade the uterus. So one of the ways we can do this is with what's called bimanual uterine compression. 
So essentially, we have uterus that we're trying to squeeze between both of our hands. One hand is going to be a fist that's placed inside the vagina, and the other hand is going to be placed externally on the fundus. And we're just trying to squeeze that fundus between our hands. Other devices that can be used if that's not working are intrauterine balloon tamponade devices. So there are a few different versions of this. The classic one is the Bacray balloon, but that may not be available in every facility. So some alternates include a condom catheter or like Marchu. If you don't have access to these devices, you could also consider uterine packing. And then if a patient is an extremis and we're really just trying to temporize the situation until the OR is ready, we can consider external aortic compression. So this is essentially poor man's verboa. What we're doing is we're compressing the aorta externally to reduce uterine blood flow. So what we're going to do if we ever need to do this, which hopefully we never will, is have both arms extended, one hand in a closed fist, the other over top. Have your hand placed just above the umbilicus and slightly to the left and essentially press down with as much force as possible to try to compress that, that aorta until you can transfer the patient for a definitive hemorrhage control. Amazing. Wow. That's a lot going on. And also we're activating the massive hemorrhage protocol or massive transfusion protocol for these patients as well, simultaneously while we're doing all of these things. Exactly. We're going to be monitoring our fibrinogen levels, calcium levels. All of the, at that point, we're, we're well into our hemorrhage algorithm with all of our usual management. Let's go back to the pregnancy and pretend it didn't go as planned. There's this classic turtling sign that we always talk about with shoulder dystocias. Can you describe that? Let's, let's pretend that you witnessed that in this particular patient. Yeah, so this is, again, one of the scariest complications because we can only diagnose it intrapartum. So that classic turtling means that the shoulder is not delivering. And it's a very scary complication. So the first thing, if you see that sign, is just to say shoulders or shoulder dystocia so that everybody in the room is on the same page and that you have that shared mental model and know what's going on. The SOGC has endorsed the alarm mnemonic as an approach. So what we want is then a standard approach, which ideally the team members are aware of, and we can go through an algorithmic step-by-step -step approach to deal with this emergency. So, so the first part of alarmer is the A, which is ask for help, which seems to be a common theme here. So you want your help, you want your backup. So you want extra hands in the room and you want obstetrics to be aware and ideally at the bedside, but you want them en route. We also need to ask for help from the patient. So as we might know what shoulders or shoulder dystocia means, the patient doesn't. So it's really important to quickly tell them what's going on and ask for their cooperation. And what we really need to tell our patient is to stop pushing immediately because we don't want continued wedging and impaction of that anterior shoulder under that pubic symphysis. The next step in that mnemonic is L. So L stands for leg hyperflexion. And this is also known as the McRoberts maneuver. And the idea of leg hyperflexion is that we're actually flexing the hips, externally rotating and abducting them, which increases the AP diameter of the pelvic outlet, with, with, which has a success rate of about 90%. So again, if we do this well, this might get us out oh, of trouble. A few yeah. pearls about McRoberts, which again... Um, I think are important for us if this is not something we have encountered regularly or practice regularly, is that to do McRoberts well, you really need a patient to be flat on the bed. So you flatten the bed and you remove any pillows from underneath the head. 
And you need the patient's knees bent to the chest. We sometimes think of the patient doing this by themselves, but ideally you have two assistants grasping on each leg to help with that hyperflexion. And then if you have another set of hands, fully to drain the bladder can just create a little bit more space and might make this maneuver a little bit more successful. So we've asked for help. We've flexed, hyperflexed the legs. Our next AN or mnemonic, if that hasn't worked, is anterior shoulder disimpaction. This has other names. One of the names is Rubin Maneuver. And this is suprapubic pressure, essentially. And really important that we are not applying any fundal pressure during any point here. Suprapubic pressure is essentially what we're trying to do is disimpact that anterior shoulder. Any fundal pressure or pressure from above is actually just going to wedge this baby further. So we don't need, we don't ever want to do that. A few pearls for suprapubic pressure is thinking about it in a similar way to CPR. So we want our, our body above the suprapubic area and we want straight arms and clasped hands. We might even need a stool to do this well so that we get our forces aligned best. And what we're going to do is put downwards pressure to the posterior aspect of that trapped anterior shoulder via the abdomen. And this could either be a continuous 30-second pressure or a rocking motion, kind of like a CPR movement. And the idea is that we're trying to disimpact that anterior shoulder. So we've now done our external maneuvers. And let's say in this case, if we've tried all of these and we're still not able to get the baby shoulder out, the next step we're going to have to do is, is enter the vagina for some maneuvers. And this takes us to our R in the mnemonic and our M and our E. So these all fit together in, in intravaginal type of maneuvers. So the R in the alarmer mnemonic stands for rotation of the posterior shoulder. And there are really two maneuvers involved in this. One that's called the Woods corkscrew and one that's called the reverse corkscrew, which is somewhat confusing. But I think when you start thinking about the actual biomechanics of it, it becomes a little bit simpler. So what we're doing is, is we're entering the vagina and the next step in the mnemonic or as a third part in the mnemonic comes episiotomy. And the episiotomy is really only for space for our hands. This, this won't actually relieve the dystocia because it's not a soft tissue problem, it's a bony problem. So our Rubin II maneuver, which is the reverse corkscrew, is our first go-to. And what we're trying to do is we're basically trying to decrease the visicromial diameter of the shoulder. So basically adduct the shoulders so that there's less diameter that it has to exit the vagina. So, so for this, what we're going to do is we're going to put pressure on the back or posterior aspect of whatever shoulder we can access, either the anterior or posterior shoulder. And that is going to affect shoulder adduction. And then we rotate the baby 180 degrees and try to deliver it. So we're basically trying to squeeze the shoulders together. If that's not successful, next maneuver is the Woods Corkscrew Maneuver. And so this is more of a twist and turn or a true corkscrew. So here we're going to place a finger or pressure on the anterior or the clavicle aspect of the posterior shoulder. So the shoulder that's facing down. You can also potentially press on the posterior aspect of the anterior shoulder. We're basically trying to twist the baby 180 degrees, like turning a screw, so that the posterior shoulder moves to the interior spot and that interior shoulder that's stuck moves down, and that should dislodge that impacted anterior shoulder. So we're basically twisting baby out. So, so those are our two rotational maneuvers. So the M part is manual removal of the posterior arm. Here, what we're trying to do is get one arm out of the way so that we 
disimpact that anterior shoulder. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go enter the vagina, put some pressure on the antecubital fossa to try to flex that posterior forearm, so the forearm that's facing down towards the floor. Then we're going to grasp either the hand or the forearm and sweep it across the chest towards the chin. And then we sweep that hand across the face and deliver that arm out. And then we deliver that posterior shoulder first, and then we rotate the fetus 180 and then deliver the fetus. These maneuvers, so the E part of this mnemonic is episiotomy. So because these maneuvers require some space, you may need to do a mediolateral episiotomy just for space for your hands. If we're still not able to get baby out, the next step we can do is move the patient onto all fours. And this is called the Gaskin maneuver. And so what this does is it just helps facilitate spontaneous delivery because you have gravity working in your favor and you also have increased pelvic dimensions. Patient rolls onto their hands and knees. You apply some gentle downward traction and you can try that posterior arm delivery method again and hopefully this will resolve your dystocia. Amazing. The alarmer mnemonic. That's perfect. Let's pretend that when the patient arrives, instead of seeing that head crowning at the opening, you see a large loop of cord. What are your thoughts here and how do you manage that? Yeah, so this is a, a very potentially dangerous scenario when you have a presumed umbilical cord prolapse. So here, our goal is to deliver this baby as quickly and safely as possible without having significant compression on that cord. And so typically these patients are delivered by C-section. You want your obstetrics team aware of the situation and prepping an ORSTAT. The things that we can do in the emergency department are some maneuvers to try to reduce pressure on that cord. So what we can do as a first step is just position mum. Some positions that will help reduce any pressure on the cord include elevating the hips. So you basically wedge the hips with the patient's supine or in the left lateral decubitus position, and or you move the patient in a, into a 15-degree trendelenburg or head-down position, again, with the aim of getting the presenting part off of that umbilical cord. You can also do then, along with this positioning maneuver, manually elevate that presenting part. So what you're trying to do is, if it's a head, push the head off the cord so that the cord has adequate blood flow. At this point, if we've done that, so we've positioned mum, and we've elevated the presenting part, we now want to reassess the situation. So are we still seeing signs of fetal distress? So what we can do is monitor fetal heart rate, remembering that a normal fetal heart rate is between 100 and 160. If there is a large segment of cord that's still outside the vagina, what we can do is we can wrap it in warm towels, prevents vasospasm. Depending on how far delivery has progressed, we could consider tocolysis with medications like terbutaline, nitroglycerin, or magsulfate. Again, this would be in conjunction with your OB team to make this decision. If after our maneuvers, we still have persistent fetal distress, we can try a few more repositioning maneuvers. So what we can do is we can move the patient into steeper Trendelenburg. So mom is now 30 degrees head down. And what's found to be even more effective than that is a knee to chest position. So mom and all fours with knees up to chest. This helps remove from the cord. Other things that can be done in the in a umbilical cord prolapse situation include backfilling the bladder. So essentially, this is doing the same thing as trying to manually elevate the presenting part. 
So we fill the bladder with 500 mils of normal saline to try to give that umbilical cord a bit more room. And as a last step, there is some controversy about this, but gently reducing that prolapse cord. And this is controversial because any handling of the cord can lead to spasm, vasospasm. So we want to really do this only if we, we've run out of other options. And we want to do this if we know that our urgency section is planned. Awesome. Yeah, oh my gosh, lots of issues can come up in, in these deliveries. Perhaps the last thing that you want to see is some toes and a foot sticking out at you. How does your approach change when managing a breach delivery? So breach presentation is the most common malpresentation. And important to remember that this is something that we're more likely to see in a preacher birth. So at term, it's only about 3 to 4% of pregnancies. But under 28 weeks, it's up to 25% of pregnancies that will be breach. And so if delivery is not imminent, this patient needs a C-section. But here in our emergency setting, of course, we're dealing of, with the patient who we suspect is going to deliver in our department. And so I think we need to be aware of the risks of a vaginal breach delivery. One of the big risks is what we were just talking about, namely an umbilical cord prolapse. You also have a risk of prolonged cord compression and birth trauma. And of course, the scariest thing that could happen with a breach is head entrapment. And that's really what we are, we don't want to happen. So I'm going to walk through how we would deliver a, a breach in an emergency setting if we were forced to. So in this case, we have the patient in, in the lithotomy position. Also, if we have time, it would be ideal to empty the bladder just to give us more room to deal with. We also want to see if the cord has prolapsed, so important to inspect for that. And let's say, again, there is a foot staring out at us. What do we do? The most important thing at this stage is to do nothing. And I think this is the most important thing to, to emphasize with a breach delivery is that we want a hands-off delivery until we can see beyond the umbilicus. So really what we're going to do is hands off and be, be really good coaches and try to encourage as much maternal pushing as possible. And the reason that we're doing this is we want that presenting part, which is not ahead, to maximally dilate the cervix so that we have the maximal size of passage for eventually the arms and the head. And we don't want to do any traction at this point. If we were to do traction, the concern is that what might happen is that the head may deflex or you might trap the arms. So see the feet, what we do is we, we watch and we let mom push and we encourage her pushing until we see the, the belly button. And then once we're at the umbilicus, this is where we may need to do a few special maneuvers to try to help deliver the legs, arms, and head, but only if needed. Let's say if, it's a, if it is a breach where we're, it's not a footling breach, so where we're seeing a bum presentation and the legs aren't delivering, and if they're not delivering spontaneously, which often they will, what you would do is you wait until you see the popliteal fossa, then you would place your fingers on the inner thigh of the baby and then flex the, the knee, abduct the hip, and basically externally rotate to sweep the leg out and deliver the leg. And then you would do the same on the other side. And that's called the Pinard maneuver to help the leg, legs deliver. So let's say we have legs delivered. We can see an umbilicus. Now what are we going to do for the arms? The arms may deliver spontaneously. But at this point, what we can do is we can wrap the baby's abdomen and pelvis in a warm towel. Apply very gentle traction to the pelvis. 
until we start seeing the scapular borders. If once we see the scapular borders, what we're going to do is rotate the baby. So we're going to rotate so that one of the arms is up, facing upwards. And then if the arm isn't delivering spontaneously, what we're going to do is grasp and then sweep the arm across the chest over the face and deliver that arm. We're going to rotate maybe 180 degrees so that the other arm that's still inside is up. We're going to essentially do the same thing. So grasp the arm and sweep it out and deliver that arm. So now we have a baby. We've got legs, belly, and arms out. All we have left is the head. So the head is important. And what's important in the delivery of the head is that we want to keep that head and neck flexed as much as possible to avoid any perinatal trauma. So now we have a baby. We've delivered both arms. And we now turn them back to sacrum up or face down. We have them on our forearm. We wait until we see the very back of the neck. And then what we're going to do is place our fingers on the maxillae, so on the cheeks. And this is going to keep the head in flexion. At this point, we might need an assistant providing some fundal pressure to help get the head out. And then what we do is gentle traction with our top hand with one finger over each of the shoulders and then deliver the head, keeping that neck flexed. And then we have baby. We do any resuscitation if needed. And if not, we've just done a breach delivery in the emergency department. Wow. This is one of those scenarios that it's uh, the old adage of don't just do something, stand there. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Look, that's it for the questions that I have. Any last words of wisdom that you want to impart on the listeners? I just think that we need to be prepared for this. I personally think it's exciting and it's an exciting field, which again, one of the scenarios where if all goes well, we have two very happy patients and it can be a very rewarding experience. Amazing. All right. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, James.